Harry Potter. Oh, Harry Potter. 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 And the Half Drunk Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Harry Potter and the Half Drunk Podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm Sam. And this week we're finishing up our book deep dive of Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince. Look, I did it. It just took me the entire thing, but I did it. (laughs) (laughs) Finally got there. It's been a long, it's been a long journey on this Half Blood Prince train, but we're finally pulling into the station and calling it calling it a trip, calling it a done deal. So it there's there's definitely a lot to talk about, lots to unpack, lots of feelings to feel. So we'll just try to get through this the best that we can. But in order to get through it, we are, of course, sipping on a cocktail. And this drink of the week is the Drink of Despair, a.k.a. the Emerald Potion, a.k.a. Voldemort's Horcrux Juice, <laughs> a.k.a. The shit that fucks Dumbledore up when he is trying to get that damn faux Horcrux. So it's described as being green, and there's actually a description of it on Harry Potter Wiki where they name it the Emerald Potion. And it's a mysterious potion which induces fear, delirium, and extreme thirst, according to Dumbledore. The potion cannot be penetrated by hand, vanished, parted, scooped up, siphon, siphoned? Siphoned. Siphoned. <laughs> Siphoned away. Transfigured, charmed, or otherwise made to change its nature in any way. It can only be drained away by drinking. As such, this potion is meant for protecting something of extreme importance. Although the potion typically does not kill the victim, it nonetheless makes them very weak and vulnerable. As such, for a more complete security, something else should be there to be prepared to attack the victim once they finish drinking the potion, a.k.a. The Inferi, because it made Dumbledore very thirsty and had to drink, and all of a sudden, oh, now I gotta fight off all these dead bodies. Um, so, this potion hopefully won't be as terrifying <laughs> for us to sip on. We shall see. It does include some ingredients that are a little questionable, if you ask me. So, it's made of one ounce of gin, a teaspoon of green creme de menthe, and two dashes of bitter. So that not a lot goes into it, but the ingredients themselves it's a lot. are pretty, it's pretty, it's very it's bitter. It's <laughs> For the bitters and the gin, it's a very strong flavor, and um, it's not my favorite, but also not the worst. I mean, honestly, like, it's how I would imagine that potion tasting. I feel like <laughs> if we would have... To taste, it just doesn't give us these side effects Yeah, of that I mean, I potion. feel like if we would have had, like, an apple teeny or something, people would have been like, all right, <laughs> girls, like, no. There's no way, right? So you kind of have to suffer through it, so to speak. I mean, it's not terrible if you like gin, which I do, but I think it's this liqueur that's in it that gets me. Um, yeah, yeah. But this is also just an Emerald Isle cocktail. Right. So this is a, like typical drink that people may drink on St. Patrick's Day, which also is coinciding with this podcast since this will come out a week before St. Patrick's Day. So happy St. Patrick's Day to all you people out there. Um, But yeah, so I mean, it's not like 
this is a crazy cocktail. Like, people drink this normally. If if you're a gin lover, then you might like this cocktail. Yeah. I mean, it's Just not... something different. It's not terrible. It's not my favorite. Um, but it gets the job done. I think it pairs well with what we're talking about because there are moments where you're reading and you're like man this is just so good like I'm so happy things are like looking up like Harry's life is pretty good and then (laughs) there are moments in these passages that really fuck you up shit just hits the fan and you're like really and I don't know every time I read this first of all it took Sam and I full disclosure the longest to read these chapters of any other little portion that we've read. I didn't finish reading until like an hour before we had to record because I was like, no, fuck this. I don't I don't want to read this. The last like four chapters are just so heartbreaking. We had to keep checking in on each other basically, like making sure the other was reading. Like, are you going to be ready? No. I'm yeah, which ready. is why we're a day, a day late. But, you know, it... <laughs> It is what it is, and I just am always transported back to my first time reading this. I am a night owl, so I am more productive at night, so I remember I was staying up really late reading this, and I was just in bed crying my eyes out, and then the next morning I was like, Dad, Dumbledore died, and he was like, "Yeah." yeah, he did, and yeah. You know, it was just kind of you have these moments in literature like of mice and men when Lenny dies and um, all these other alert. kind of I mean, if you haven't read of mice and men like a, I haven't on. read mice and men. It's I'm spoiling like a 60-year-old novel. I haven't no. read it, but that's um, fine. well, it's one of, you should. I know. It's I should, so but good. I also knew that it was really sad and that's why I didn't want to read it. So. Yeah, but I, I just feel like there's these moments where you remember reading and you can literally picture yourself still Oh my in gosh, yeah, it takes you and, back for sure. Yeah, and this is definitely, I think, one of them for me. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, I remember where it's like, this is fucked up, but it's like when you remember when, like, exactly where you were on 9-11 like, I still right. remember where, yeah. I, where I was when the news was breaking about that. Like, I still remember where I was when Dumbledore died in the book. Like, exactly. I was sitting in it's my... It's like a traumatic moment. I was, you remember those, like, round chairs that were, like, all the rage when we were in, like, middle school or, like, early... Yeah. Those, like, round, really colorful chairs. I had one in my room, and that was, like, my reading chair with all these pillows, and I was, like, piled up on it and just sobbing into the chair <laughs> when I was reading this... So, yeah, I I shed, like, two tears this time, so we're progressing, but... Yeah. I I cried in the car with Karn and his sister and his mom. (laughs) I was just in the back seat silently crying to myself. Yeah. So... It's just so hard. Yeah, it was... It never gets easier. You always know it's coming, and I always take so long to read that chapter... And every time I'm just as pissed off at Snape. Yeah. Every single time. Well, I time think it's even harder because fail. the cave, the chapter building up to before the lightning struck tower, yeah. like we get the best Dumbledore. Like we get all of we these do. 
crazy awesome moments from him all these awesome quotes from him and then he's like just sensing magic in the air and he knows exactly what to do and Harry's like I've never seen this before like I've never seen a wizard do these things before and yeah of course he thinks that nothing bad can happen because he's with Dumbledore and that's just what makes it so much worse so anyways okay we have basically yeah we we just need to get into it yeah it's gonna be hard some moments are gonna be I think really exciting but just bear with us (laughs) you might hear some tears Okay, so we start on chapter 24, Sec- Sectrum Sectum Sempra. Sempra. Sectrum Sempra. That word is always hard for me. I don't know why. <laughs> it's embarrassing. I have a whole podcast dedicated to Harry Potter, and that word's difficult I mean, for me. Not okay. Words are tough sometimes. Um, it's fine. Yeah, sometimes words are hard, especially after a work day and wedding planning. Okay, so anyway, Harry and Malfoy go head-to-head in this chapter basically things kind of reach a crescendo if you will for the two of them harry's been so obsessed with draco throughout this entire thing he also internally struggles with his crush on Ginny mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. chapter quite a bit actually because he finds out that dean and her have split up yeah on the very like first page of the chapter is when we find out that both ron and lavender broke up and so did Ginny and dean on page 481 in the British version, the reason, um, like, Harry says that his voice was indif- as indifferent as he could. He asked, how come? Asking why they split up. Oh, something really silly. She said he was always trying to help her through the portrait hole, like she couldn't climb in herself. <laughs> but they've been a bit rocky for ages. Harry glanced over at Dean on the other side of the classroom. He certainly looked unhappy. Of course, this puts you in a bit of a dilemma, doesn't it? said Hermione. What do you mean? said Harry quickly. The Quidditch team, said Hermione. If Ginny and Dean aren't speaking. Oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, obviously, we pick up that Harry is very interested that Ginny and Dean's relationship has ended, and Hermione is, like, not fooled at all. Yeah, she definitely knows, and she's definitely, like, giving him the side eye about it. Just the whole yeah. thing. Um. So then the next significant thing really is Harry walks into, well, he checks the Marauder's map because, again, he's, like, obsessing over Draco and his whereabouts. Oh, wait, can I just throw in a little quote real quick before this? So still at the very beginning of Sectum Sempra, they're in a charms class, and I just want to point out that Professor Flitwick literally quotes, Now, now, boys, a little less talk, a little more action. And I just thought that was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) That is literally in this book. A little less talk, a little more action. I am (laughs) deceased. Okay, continue. Okay, so Harry is obsessed with Draco's whereabouts. So he's checking the Marauder's map like a crazy obsessed person. Honestly, it's annoying, but we get it. Anyway, he sees him talking to Moaning Myrtle. He's straight up spying on Draco. Yeah, he's like, this is super weird. So he, of course, goes into the bathroom, and Myrtle's trying to comfort him, basically. And comfort Draco, basically. Right. So Harry walks in, and Malfoy hears him, and Myrtle's, like, telling them to stop because they automatically start dueling. They've just kind of reached this point. It's been building at for six books this whole moment i think um 
So then Harry, of course, bellows this curse that he really doesn't know what the hell it does, but it's in the Half-Blood Prince book. And at this point, he trusts the prince more than he trusts Hermione, which is terrible and I think just goes to show the kind of shitty situations he would be in without her. (laughs) Um, So it's honestly terrible. As soon as he casts it and sees what happens, he instantly regrets it. And I think at that moment is when he's like, maybe this, maybe Hermione's right. Like this Prince guy, I mean, he's not fully convinced, but I think it's when he starts questioning the intentions. Well, yeah. I mean, he starts then, panicking because he like literally would have killed Draco if Snape hadn't come in. Yeah. Like that's not a curse that just harms you. That will kill you if you bleed out <laughs> like that. Yeah. And it's terrible. So at this point, Snape is like, go get me all of your school books because he has already heard how amazing Harry is at potions, which he knows that Harry's right. not. And then he then walks in on this, which is his own and spell. Clearly he recognizes his own work. Yeah. Yeah. And so we get one of my favorite interactions between Snape and Harry. And it's when he asks him, this is your copy of advanced potion making. Is it Potter? Yes, said Harry, still breathing hard. You're quite sure of that, are you, Potter? Yes, said Harry, with much more defiance. Sassy Harry popping out. This is the copy of advanced potion making that you purchased from Flourish and Blots? Yes, said Harry firmly. (laughs) Then why, asked Snape, does it have the name Renewal Wassily written on the front cover? Harry's heart missed a beat. That's my nickname. (laughs) (laughs) Your nickname, Snape repeated. Yeah, that's what my friends call me, said Harry. I understand what a nickname is, said Snape. The cold black eyes were boring once more into Harry's. He tried not to look into them. Close your mind, close your mind. But he had never learned how to do it properly. You know what I think, Potter, said Snape very quietly. I think that you are a liar and a cheat, and you deserve detention with me every Saturday until the end of term. What do you think, Potter? So, he gets detention, which really just means that now he can't play Quidditch right. in the most important Quidditch match that he's had as a captain. But, I mean, so. Snape's not wrong at that to do that. Obviously, Harry needed to be punished for that. But I do want to point out that before, like, when Harry was running, he knew that he couldn't give over his copy of Half-Blood Prince, so he went and got Ron's copy and went to get rid of his in the Room of Requirement and try to go hide it. And the room that he walked into is the same room that Malfoy uses with the vanishing cabinet. So we even get a sort of Easter egg of the vanishing cabinet when Harry is running to get rid of his book. It says he turned right past an enormous stuffed troll, ran on a short way, took a left at the broken vanishing cabinet in which Montag had got lost the previous year, finally pausing beside a large cupboard which seemed to have acid thrown at his blistered surface. And then we also get an easter egg of the tiara because he wants to mark where he put the book in the cupboard and says that he seized a chipped bust of an old warlock from the top of nearby crate and put a dusty old wig and tarnished tiara on the statue's head to make it more distinctive so see i i love her mind i love it so much it's those little things and at the end of this book she just pours them in oh yeah and it really sets you up 
our Horcrux senses will be tingling <laughs> in the next book. Like, I remember that, mm-hmm. you know? So then he goes to detention, and his detention fucking sucks, okay? Like, I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. He's literally recording all of his dad and Sirius's and the rest of the Marauders' misdoings. That's what he's doing. Snape is so fucking petty, I cannot deal with him. So that's what he's doing. And then he's also thinking about Ginny playing Seeker against Cho, of course. Right. And he's like, oh, what a dilemma. And then I'm going to let Sam read this next part. Yay. Since it's one of her favorite parts of the entire series. Go on, my girl. Yeah. So basically I'm going to read kind of the whole last page of Sectum Sempra. We'll start when Harry's leaving detention. I think that will do, he said coldly. Mark the place you have reached. You will continue at 10 o'clock next Saturday. Yes, sir. Harry stuffed a bent card into the box at random and hurried out of the door before Snape could change his mind, racing back up the stone steps, straining his ears to hear a sound from the pitch. But all was quiet. It was over then. He hesitated outside the crowded Great Hall, then ran up the marble staircase. Whether Gryffindor had won or lost, the team usually celebrated or commiserated in their own common room. Quid agus, he said tentatively to the fat lady, wondering what he would find inside. Her expression was unreadable, and she replied, You'll see. And she swung forwards. A roar of celebration erupted from the hole behind her. Harry gaped as the people began to scream at the sight of him. Several hands pulled him into the room. We won! yelled Ron, bounding into sight and brandishing the silver cup at Harry. We won! 450 to 140! We won! Harry looked around, and there was Jenny running towards him. She had a hard, blazing look in her face as she threw her arms around him. And without thinking, without planning it, without worrying about the fact that 50 people were watching, Harry kissed her. After seven long... (laughs) Sorry. This gets me so hyped. (laughs) You're so happy right now. After several long moments, or it might have been half an hour, or possibly several sunlit days, they broke apart. The room had gone very quiet. Then several people woof-whistled, and there was an outbreak of nervous giggling. Harry looked over the top of Ginny's head to see Dean Thomas holding a shattered glass in his hand and Romilda Vane looking as though she might throw something. Hermione was beaming, but Harry's eyes sought Ron. At last he found him, still clutching the cup and wearing an expression appropriate to having been clubbed over the head. For a fraction of a second, they looked at each other. Then Ron gave a tiny jerk of the head that Harry understood to mean, well, if you must. The creature in his chest roared in triumph. Harry grinned down at Jenny and gestured wordlessly out of the portrait hole. A long walk in the ground seemed indicated, during which, if they had time, they might discuss the match. (laughs) Oh, I love it. It happened. Or hella hype. It happened. Finally, what we've been waiting for the entire book. The best part of the worst next few chapters just happened. Yeah. Um... So then, you know, we get some great banter from the Golden Four, as I like to call them. Um, We get the funny tattoo remark that we mentioned last week. And, you know, then he says that Ginny has to study for her owls, which would definitely take up most of her time. And then Hermione is basically bringing up the Hapblood Prince again and asking if he is going to go get the book. And he basically tells her yeah i am so right it's kind of disappointing for her and honestly for the reader too because you're like did you not learn your lesson you know this is not a good idea but he is 
of course, he is James' son. So do we really expect anything less? No. So then he goes to the room of requirement and standing outside is a very drunk Professor Trevani trying to hide her bottles of sherry, her empty bottles of sherry. And she tells him that she was kicked out of the room of requirement and that someone was celebrating in there. So, of course, he assumes it's Draco because it is Draco. Yeah. I mean, she said that it was sounded like a male and he was very gleeful. And yeah. um, she also mentions that her cards, like her tarot cards, keep showing her a lightning struck tower, which is clearly the foreshadowing yeah. of Dumbledore's death. So, fuck that. I have that too. Like, she completely predicts the rest of the book, which is complete foreshadowing. And I love that she showed Trevani doing that to give her, like, yet another moment of glory and significance. Right. So then they go up to Dumbledore's office together. Oh, but together. first Harry finds out about Snape and that Snape is yeah. the one who overheard Trelawney giving the prophecy to Dumbledore. Yeah, and when he gets to Dumbledore's office, he goes in on him. Yeah, he's full-on ready to just, like, fucking lay into him. And honestly, it's it's a lot. I mean, it's a lot, you know? It, I, I understand it. It definitely kind of will continue to connect the dots to just, like, kind of throw us that curveball mm-hmm. in the next book. But, I mean, holy shit, Harry. Like, this is your mentor. Also, this is the headmaster of the school. Like, give him a little bit of trust. I don't know. I, and I'm not even a Snape person. And it's like... I just think that you would feel the same way. I oh, I definitely would. I just think the way that sometimes he speaks to Dumbledore, he speaks to Dumbledore as if they're on, like, an even playing field. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And they are not. Well, and I think that Dumbledore knows when Harry is about to cross a line and he puts him in his place. But, right. yeah, I mean, it's just a big realization and bomb to be dropped that Snape was basically the reason that Voldemort found out about the prophecy and then went after yeah. Harry. And then Dumbledore's like, well, you know, like, he, he could have also gone after Neville's parents. Like, we had no idea that whatever. He does foreshadow a bit, though, Dumbledore was saying that it was the biggest regret of his life. And Harry asks, like, how can you be so sure? And Dumbledore says, I have my reasons. So it does kind of build this case for Snape that, yeah, we'll eventually find out that reason. Right. And we see that again at the end of the book as well, when Tonks and Lupin find out that Dumbledore died, and they're like, I can't believe we trusted him. Like, he always seemed to hint that he had a really solid reason, but nobody knows what it is. So. Right. Yeah. Right. So then Dumbledore asks, or he tells Harry that he has discovered another Horcrux and asks him to come with him. So Harry, being Harry and thinking on his feet and also remembering um, Draco celebrating, he goes to get his invisibility cloak, and he gives Ron and Hermione orders. Right. Not He doesn't ask them. He gives them straight orders yeah. to keep an eye on Malfoy and to also... Drink this Felix Felicis. Yeah, keep, drink the Felix Felicis, of course, give some to Ginny as well, and also keep an eye on Snape. Because at this point, he does not trust him as far as he can throw him. And alert Dumbledore's army should anything seem... Like, it's going to be weird. So he just has, like, a gut feeling that something's going to happen. And at this point, like, he obviously is right. And I think that just shows that, like, after this whole Malfoy thing took place, that Ron and Hermione really need to put more faith in Harry's gut feelings sometimes. Yeah, I mean, 
something always happens at the end of term. At this point, they shouldn't be shocked. <laughs> you know? like, true. Very it true. It just kind of goes with it. So, but when he's leaving, when he's going, after he's met up with them and he's going to meet up with Dumbledore and he's like, I better go. Dumbledore's waiting. And Hermione tries to give the Felix Felicis back to him and says, we don't want it. You take it. Who knows what you're going to be facing? And Harry says, I'll be fine. I'll be with Dumbledore. And it just breaks my damn heart. Yeah. Because we get an echo to that, obviously, like we posted on our social earlier. Yeah. It just, I love how highly they think of one another. I mean, I just love the respect they have for one another and how safe they feel with each other. Yeah. I mean, I think that anyone would feel like no matter what they were facing, they'd be fine because they're with like the greatest wizard of all time. You're right. Yeah. Um, so then they apparate, oh, they go through Hogsmeade. They run into Madame Rosmerta, who will become important later. Um, and then they apparate to the cave. The cave. And the cave. Um, so Dumbledore reminds Harry of what happened there, that Voldemort had brought kids from the orphanage to basically torture them at this spot. Mm-hmm. As a young kid. And that it obviously would have taken magic for them to get to the spot where they were going. Right. Dumbledore also keeps bringing up the point throughout this whole chapter that um, there are traces of magic here, which is very important for the next one when he's hunting Horcruxes himself, Mm -hmm. that he starts to recognize these little hints that are left behind by other wizards. Right. I think it's cool. Also... When they're making their way over to land from, like, one rock to the next, Dumbledore goes, like, full-on fucking Michael Phelps. Oh, my God. I wrote this down, too. I was like, the fact that he has the perfect breaststroke, I feel like, tells you everything you need to know about Dumbledore. Yeah. Um, he is how old at this point, and he's just doing the perfect breaststroke, just effortlessly? Of course he is. And with the sudden agility of a much younger man, Dumbledore slid from the boulder, landed in the sea, and began to swim with a perfect breaststroke with his wand held in between his teeth (laughs) like he's just a boss and that's what makes this so frustrating and so much more just gut-wrenching is because we see him just being like his boss ass bitch self this entire chapter yeah so then they get to the entrance of the cave and they have to make a blood payment and of course Dumbledore is like okay I'm gonna do it and then Harry offers to do it and you're too kind, Harry, said Dumbledore, now passing the tip of his wand over the deep cut he had made on his own arm, so that it healed instantly, just as Snape had healed Malfoy's wounds. But your blood is worth much more than mine. So, foreshadowing. And also, I think, just kind of shows the regard in which Dumbledore holds him, but also just reminding us that Harry is the chosen one. Yeah. So... His blood is very it's important. It's very, yeah. And who knows what would have happened if, like, Harry's blood would have touched it. Like, maybe that would have... Well, he does make the sacrifice afterwards, so I guess nothing. I'm just thinking too much into it. But anyways... I thought the same thing, though. I had a note. And it was like, would Voldemort appear? Would he <laughs> sense it? I smell his blood. <laughs> his blood is my blood. But then they make it through the little, like hiding door in the cave and out into the area with the lake and they're like pacing back and forth and trying Dumbledore like obviously knows exactly what he has to do as soon as he's there and Harry's just like trying to put two and two together the whole time 
and kind of asking what seems like stupid questions because Dumbledore like just has an immediate answer about like yeah we have to get to the island and there's got to be a boat here somewhere and there's definitely magic around here and Dumbledore just basically like I picture him just like sticking his tongue out and like tasting the air and just like knowing where to go that's not what he does but (laughs) exactly that's like basically a dog just sniffing it out and he finds the invisible boat and him and Harry get in it and they're like scrunched together in it and Harry's like why can't we just summon the horcrux and Dumbledore's like you can certainly try so they try that and obviously in in fury like jumps out of the water which is showing them what is waiting for them and then um when Harry like actually sees the bodies in the water there's this passage that I love that um Harry says there are bodies in here and his voice sounded much higher than usual and most unlike his own yes said Dumbledore placidly but we do not need to worry about them at the moment at the moment Harry repeated tearing his gaze from the water to look at Dumbledore not while they are merely drifting peacefully below us said Dumbledore there is nothing to be feared from a body Harry any more than there is to be feared from the darkness Lord Voldemort who of course secretly fears both disagrees but once again he reveals his own lack of wisdom it is the unknown we fear when we will look upon death in the darkness nothing more so I just think that's yeah. a really good look inside of fear itself and the fear that Voldemort has yeah I, he constantly throughout this chapter is a reminding Harry like I taught Tom Riddle I know his style I know these there's going to be so many tricks up his sleeve it's not going to be easy for us and like you said he just keeps reminding harry the things that like lord voldemort believes to be true and that he fears they're wrong mm-hmm. they're wrong so but these are once yeah again, i think that's that harry doesn't know that he needs to soak in and take with him for his future journey alone right that hunting of horcruxes yeah So then they get to the potion and Dumbledore makes him promise again that he will do whatever he asks. And then he asks him to make sure that he drinks all the potion. And this is really hard for me personally to read. Mm -hmm. Um, I think especially knowing Dumbledore's backstory, it makes it worse. Right. Because you know that he's reliving those moments. And... Yeah, like, the first time reading it, you just think that he's, like, being tortured, but you don't know what it is that he's actually seen. Right, right. And then you can assume he's, you know, just completely reliving Ariana and her death. And he keeps saying, it's all my fault, all my fault, he sobbed. Please make it stop. I know I did wrong. Oh, please make it stop. I'll never, never again. This will make it stop, Professor said Harry, his voice cracking as he tipped the seventh glass of potion into Dumbledore's mouth. Dumbledore began to cower over the invisible torture surrounding him. His flailing hand almost knocked the refilled goblet from Harry's trembling hands as he moaned, Don't hurt them! Don't hurt them! Please! Please! It's my fault! Hurt me instead! Here, drink this! Drink this! You'll be all right, said Harry desperately. And once again, Dumbledore obeyed him. Opening his mouth as he kept his eyes tight shut and shook from his head to foot. And now he fell forward, screaming again, hammering his fists upon the ground, while Harry filled the ninth goblet. Please, 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 no. Not that, not that. I'll do anything. Just drink, Professor, just drink. Dumbledore drank like a child, dying of thirst. But when he had finally finished, he yelled again, as though his insides were on fire. No more, please, no more. So, I mean, it just keeps 
going and then he asks Harry to kill until him. Until finally he's like, just please kill me. And then Harry's like, this one will, just drink this. And then Dumbledore drinks it and then he like basically just collapses and says he needs water. And Harry tries to like fill up the goblet full of water and it's not happening. So then he goes and he gets water from the lake and clearly he knew like that was his only choice and obviously this was planned out by Voldemort that he knew that whenever someone finished drinking this potion that they would need water which would ensure that the inferior attacked them and even if they had got to his horcrux they would have to get rid of the inferior and they would be very weak trying to do that so you had to have two people with you in order to get out basically Um, which we know that Regulus Black had Creature when he did this the first time. Right. So, um, Harry's trying to fight off all these inferior by himself, and he's just, like, throwing random spells at them. He's saying, like, Pertificus Totalis and Sectum Sempra, and, like, nothing is really working for him. And he, like, totally just spaced and forgot that Dumbledore said earlier that fire and heat is what fights darkness and water. Um, so... Dumbledore basically has to save their asses by having this like fire circle ring of fire surround them and he kept it surrounding them as they got back into the boat and made their way back across the lake and Harry's like I'm so sorry sir I forgot about the fire they were coming at me and I panicked and Dumbledore is like quite understandable but then they like get back through the cave Harry makes his sacrifice of blood because he's already bleeding and Harry knows that he has to apparate them back, and he says, it's going to be all right, sir. And he said this over and over again, more worried by Dumbledore's silence than he had been by his weakened voice. We're nearly there. I can apparate us both back. Don't worry. I am not worried, Harry, said Dumbledore, his voice a little stronger despite the freezing water. I am with you. (sighs) I started crying there, folks, and I didn't stop. I was, like, just blubbering. Like, there's a lump in my throat. These like last four chapters yeah all right we'll get through it um so they get back and harry is you know thinking they're going to be triumphant they did it he thinks they got a horcrux they're mm-hmm. gonna go back and they're gonna destroy it together all you know, he needs very... to do is just go get dumbledore better and we're good right exactly um so they get back to the three broomsticks and there it is the dark mark so Dumbledore, being Dumbledore, jumps into action, and they hop on brooms. From Madame Rosemerta. From, yeah, from Madame Rosemerta again. There she is. And they go to the astronomy tower. And Dumbledore realizes that he just flew into a trap basically as soon as he gets there. And tells yeah. Harry, like, you need to put on your invisibility cloak. Go get Snape. And Harry's like, Snape? Really? Um, but then, like, as soon as Harry's going to leave... The door opens and Malfoy bursts in and disarms Dumbledore and Harry realizes that it was because Dumbledore had frozen Harry in place, invisible, that he was unable to, like, defend himself against Draco's disarming charm. So, of course, Harry has that to deal with, again, a little bit of guilt that he's going to face. But, yeah, so Draco comes in and basically tells Dumbledore that he has to kill him that Dumbledore's a fool and it was right under his nose the whole time and Dumbledore's like well obviously I knew you were trying to kill me like you were very foolish about it you were very 
dangerous about it. Like, you could have killed all these other people, like Katie Bell and Slughorn with the wine. Like, you were just being stupid, honestly. And right. that's why I had Snape watching you. And Draco's like, you still don't get it. Like, Snape is on my side. He made a promise to my mother. And Dumbledore's like, of course you would think that. That's what he has to tell you, blah, blah, blah. And then Draco's finally like, well... I found out a way anyways to get people in and I mended the vanishing cabinet and I've been working on it for months and I finally got it and it has to be me who kills you and um or he'll kill my family or he'll kill my family and Dumbledore is basically at the point where he's talking him down like talking him off the ledge and it's just like this isn't you I can help you I can offer you the best protection in the world your dad is safe for the moment and ask you man I will send orders to your mother right now and take her to safety and we can like get you out of this situation you don't have to be a killer and um right as Draco like is lowering his wand is when the other death eaters burst in yeah yeah, so the other Death Eaters come in. We get Fenrir Grey back, which, oh my god, it's just so fucking disgusting. And they're all... Disturbing. It's, yeah, they're all just telling Draco, like, quickly, quickly, quickly. Um, like, stand aside and we can do it. And they're like, no, Draco has to do it. And it's just, it's chaos. It's absolute chaos. And you feel for Draco because he was about to lower his wand. And then, of course, an audience has to come. Um... But you also don't feel for Draco because it's just a, it's just a terrible situation, honestly, like all around. Like Draco is a 16 year old kid looking there, pointing a wand at his headmaster. It's just terrible. And it's it just goes to show the kind of leader and person that well, not even person, but the kind of being that Voldemort is that he wants to put kids in this these situations where they have to grow up extremely quickly and make them killers and so they can prove themselves yeah, prove their loyalty basically and it, it's just it's disgusting um yeah and then snape walks in and we have this moment <laughs> we've got a problem snape I, i'm i'm just gonna if i cry i'm not sorry yeah okay. no go for it we've got a problem snape said the lumpy amicus <laughs> which great description whose eyes and wand were fixed alike upon Dumbledore. The boy doesn't seem to be able, but somebody else had already spoken Snape's name quite softly. Severus. The sound frightened Harry beyond anything he had experienced all evening. For the first time, Dumbledore was pleading. Snape said nothing, but walked forward and pushed Malfoy roughly out of the way. The three Death Eaters fell back without a word. Even the werewolf seemed cowed. Snape gazed for a moment at Dumbledore, and there was revulsion and hatred etched in the harsh lines of his face. Severus, please. Snape raised his wand and pointed it directly at Dumbledore. Avada Kedavra. A jet of green light shot from the end of Snape's wand and hit Dumbledore squarely in the chest. Harry's scream of horror never left him. Silent and unmoving, he was forced to watch as Dumbledore was blasted into the air. For a split second, he seemed to hang suspended beneath the shining skull, and then he fell slowly backward, like a great rag doll, over the battlements and out of sight. Yeah. There's my lump again. Um, so this moment, when I first read it, my dad being my dad, told me that this is his Luke Skywalker moment. <laughs> 
Because you know when Luke Skywalker watches Obi-Wan be struck down by uh, Darth Vader. And it's his moment of, okay, shit, like, now I really have to do this. Yeah. And that's what my dad compared it to for me. And that really brought it in. It just shows how big of a nerd we all are. Um, It just really brought it into perspective for me, especially after I read the seventh book. And knowing that, like, Dumbledore knew this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Just like Obi-Wan knew that was going to happen. But it, it... I think just the way she describes Snape and the hatred in his face. And you know that in this moment, he truly hates Dumbledore for making him exactly. do Exactly. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that moment for a second. Because, like, one, he obviously is playing his part very well to the Death Eaters. Like, they see the hatred in his face. And they see, like the just commanding presence that he takes when he's about to kill Dumbledore and to everyone involved like they think that he hates Dumbledore just because he is actually a death eater and has hated having to like live under Dumbledore the past like 15 years so right it's just really like after you know the rest of the context it's just like every time you read anything like this between them the rest of the the whole sixth book like it's just a punch in the gut because you know that this moment right here has been planned and has been talked about they didn't know exactly when it was going to happen but they knew it would come down to it and that Snape would have to do this and he hates that it actually turned out that way and that he actually has to kill Dumbledore but he also is really good at convincing everybody else that he's a death eater yeah and but I feel like this moment, the way that Harry must be feeling is like when you're having a nightmare and all these terrible things are happening, but you can't scream and you can't move and you just like want to wake up. Yeah. And that's like how he feels right now because he literally can't do anything. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just it was so smart of Dumbledore to freeze him (laughs) because he knew Harry needed to see this, A, which is terrible but it's true he needed to see Malfoy lowering his wand he needed to see the impact of the Death Eaters he needed to see Death Eaters you know front and center he needed to see Snape kill him he needed to see Snape kill him and he needed to see Dumbledore pleading with Snape and he also needed to be silent because at that point he was just completely stunned and if he would have screamed, I mean, that's, you know, I don't care. Harry Potter is Harry Potter, right? But any Death Eater group, if it's just him and he's so distraught and he's standing there gaping, I mean, they're all at the ready. It would have just been terrible. Right. And I mean, honestly, like, Harry would have, Harry would have then attacked Draco, which then would have, like, led for time for Dumbledore to escape and Harry to, like, save Dumbledore, which... Dumbledore didn't want to happen because Dumbledore basically died to save Draco's ass. Like, right. he died for Draco. He didn't want Draco to have to die for not killing him or f- for killing him. So, exactly. that's why he froze Harry, so that Harry wouldn't retaliate and that Harry couldn't do anything to stop it from happening because he knew if he did, then Draco would die. And, like, right. he obviously could have fought him yeah. off. Um. So then Snape rounds up all the Death Eaters and they run down and then Harry jumps to action. He's just stunning them and, you know, at this point he has so much adrenaline in his body when Greyback collapses onto him, he can literally just push him off. 
which is amazing. I mean, considering it's a, it's a full-grown werewolf. And he comes down to everyone fighting. And it's kind of, you know, the first battle of the war, if you will. And it, it's just a lot. It, a lot's going on. It's chaotic. It, he's chasing Snape. He sees Hagrid get stunned. And, of course, he's not Hagrid. Not Hagrid, too. Like, that's the last fucking thing he needs. Could you imagine? Like, oh, good God, no. Um, so then there are... The Death Eaters who catch Hagrid's house on fire while Fang is in there. Luckily, he gets out. It's just... It's a nightmare. And then he tries to use an unforgivable curse on Snape. As we know, Harry is not very successful when he tries to use unforgivable curses. And Snape calls him out on that. And then at this point, this is where... You know, as someone like me, like, I understand why Snape is saying this to him, but at the same time, it's just like, oh, I hate you so much. Like, you already fucking killed Dumbledore. Can you just... Yeah, just, like, shut up. Like, just stop. Can you not be such an asshole? Like, fight back, Harry screamed at him. Fight back, you cowardly... Coward, did you call me Potter? Shouted Snape. Your father would never attack me unless it was four on one. What would you call him, I wonder? Stoop blocked again and again and again until you learn to keep your mouth shut and your mind closed, Potter sneered Snape, deflecting the curse once more. Now come, he shouted at the huge Death Eater behind Harry. It is time to be gone before the ministry turns up. But before he could finish the jinx, excruciating pain hit Harry. He kneeled over in the grass. Someone was screaming, he would surely die of this agony. Snape was going to torture him to death to mad- or to madness. No, roared Snape's voice, and the pain stopped as suddenly as it had started. Harry lay curled on the grass, clutching his wand and panting. Somewhere overhead, Snape was shouting, Have you forgotten your orders? Potter belongs to the Dark Lord. We are to leave him. Go, go! And Harry fell to the ground. And Harry felt the ground shudder under his face as the brother and sister of the enormous Death Eaters obeyed. And then he tries to curse him with his own curse. Right. He tries to use Sextumsempra, and Snape flicks his wand, and the curse is repelled yet again. And then Harry's thinking, love a corpus. And then Snape blocks that, and he says, no, Potter. There's a loud bang, and Harry was soaring backwards, hitting the ground hard again. And this time, his wand flew out of his hand. He could hear Hagrid yelling and Fang howling as Snape closed in and looked down on him where he lay, wandless and defenseless, as Dumbledore had been. Snape's pale face, illuminated by the flaming cabin, was suffused with hatred, just as it had been before he cursed Dumbledore. You dare use my own spells against me, Potter? It was I who invented them. I, the half-blood prince. And you turn my inventions on me like your filthy father, would you? I don't think so. No. Harry had dived for his wand. Snape shot a hex at it, and it flew feet away into the darkness and out of sight. Kill me, then, panted Harry, who felt no fear at all, but only rage and contempt. Kill me like you killed him, you coward. Don't, screamed Snape, as his face was suddenly demented, inhuman, as though he was in as much pain as the yelping, howling dog stuck in the burning house behind him. Call me a coward, and he slashed the air, and Harry felt a white-hot whip-like something hit him across the face and was slammed backwards into the ground. Spots of light burst in front of his eyes, and for a moment, all the breath seemed to have gone from him. Then he heard the rush of wings above him and something enormous obscured the stars. And Buckwheat was there, like, fighting off Snape. And it it just got to be too late. Like, Harry couldn't catch up and Snape 
and all the rest of the Death Eaters disapparated, so then Harry turns his focus on Hagrid. I also hate this part when, after they put Hagrid's hut out, put out the fire, and Hagrid's like, oh, it's okay, it's nothing that Dumbledore can't set straight, and um, Harry's just like, Hagrid, and Hagrid's just going on, he's like, I was just binding up a couple of bow truckle legs when I heard him coming, poor little things, they've burnt to twigs, and Harry's like, Hagrid, but what happened, Harry, I just saw them Death Eaters running down from the castle, but what the ruddy hell was Snape doing with them, where is he gone, what, what's he chasing him or something, he, Harry cleared his throat, it was dry from panic in the smoke, Hagrid, he killed, killed, said Hagrid loudly, staring down at Harry, Snape killed, what are you on about, Harry, Dumbledore, said Harry, Snape killed Dumbledore. Hagrid simply looked at him. The little of his face that could be seen was completely blank, uncomprehending. Dumbledore, what, Harry? He's dead. Snape killed him. Don't say that, said Harry roughly. Snape killed Dumbledore. Don't be stupid, Harry. What's made you say that? I saw it happen. You couldn't have. I saw it, Hagrid. Hagrid shook his head. His expression was disbelieving but sympathetic, and Harry knew that Hagrid thought he had sustained a blow to the head, that he was just confused, perhaps the after effects of a jinx. And then um, they, like, go back up to the castle, and then they, like, see Dumbledore's body crumpled beneath the astronomy tower, and that's when Hagrid sees it. And it just, like, really, this also is just, like, hits me again in the gut, just thinking about Hagrid crying over Dumbledore's body, because you know that, like, he loved and respected Dumbledore more than any other person. I think because Dumbledore was basically like his father figure, his parental figure. Like Dumbledore gave him everything that he has, and he has every, like, all of the gratitude in the world towards him. So, right. Um. Then Harry, you know, goes over to Dumbledore and straightens his glasses and um, takes the locket that was actually now laying next to him and reads the note from R.A.V. to the Dark Lord. I know I will be dead long before you read this, but I want you to know that it was I who discovered your secret. I have stolen the real Horcrux and intend to destroy it as soon as I can. I face death in the hope that when you meet your match, you will be mortal once more. R.A.B. So then Harry's pissed, because it's <laughs> like, all oh, this was for nothing, and now he's dead. Yeah, and well, at the moment, he's like, I can't even, like, comprehend this right now. Like, I can't even think about this. But he's like, I'm gonna have to fucking yeah. face that later. And yeah, like, all of this... Yeah for nothing yeah so then he goes back to the castle and meets up with everyone we learn that bill was attacked by grayback but he wasn't transformed so they're not really sure what his condition will be but they're all standing around the hospital wing and harry is telling them what happened and none of them believe it none of, like well, i mean they believe harry obviously but none of them want to believe that snape was the one that killed him even McGonagall, she's like, we all wondered, but he trusted always Snape, which I love that she put those two words right next to each other. And, yeah, so he tells them what happened, and then they turn and tell him what happened. Right, exactly how everything went down. And I love how, um, after the key is talking to McGonagall, they're saying, like, I'd love to know, Tonks says, I'd love to know how Snape told him to, what Snape told him to convince him, and Harry says, I know, and they all turn to stare at him, 
Snape passed Voldemort the information that made Voldemort hunt down my mom and dad. Then Snape told Dumbledore he hadn't realized what he was doing and he was really sorry he'd done it and sorry that they were dead. And Dumbledore believed that, said Lupin incredulously. Dumbledore believed Snape was sorry James was dead? Snape hated James. And he didn't think my mother was worth a damn either, said Harry, because she was muggle-born. Mudblood, he called her. So I think this is really important as well because obviously it shows what everybody believed that Snape had done to make Dumbledore trust him. Yeah. And also Harry thinks that Snape didn't give two fucks about his mom at this point. Yeah. That is extremely important. Um, yeah, so they're all giving each other the rundown, basically. And then we get one of my favorite moments of this book, which I think is probably a little bit weird because, you know, I don't know. But I've I've always said how much I respect Floor. Right. And really, in this moment, you know, Mrs. Weasley is just obviously torn up because of Bill's condition and... She says he was going to be married. Emphasis on was. And what do you mean by that? (laughs) Said Floor, suddenly and loudly. What do you mean he was going to get married? Mrs. Weasley raised her tear-stained face, looking startled. Well, only that. You think that Bill would not wish to marry me anymore? Demanded Floor. You think because of all these bites he will not love me? (laughs) No, that's not... (laughs) That's not what I... Because he will. Said Floor, drawing herself up to full height and throwing back her long mane of silver hair. It would take more than a werewolf to stop Bill loving me. Well, yes, I'm sure, said Mrs. Weasley, but I thought perhaps given how how he... You thought I would not wish to marry him? Or perhaps hoped? Said Floor, her nostrils flaring. What do I care how he looks? I'm good-looking enough for the both of us, I think. (laughs) And these scars show that my husband is brave, and I shall do... And I shall do that! (laughs) It's the, it's just the best. And then I love that Mrs. Weasley finally realizes she's met her match and offers her an heirloom. And it's just a good it's just a good moment. I don't know. And we we need those good moments. Right. And then my favorite part comes directly after that when you see, said a strained voice. Tonks was glaring at Lupin. She still wants to marry him, even though he's been bitten. She doesn't care. It's different, said Lupin, barely moving his lips and looking suddenly tense. Bill will not be a full werewolf. The cases are completely... But I don't care either. I don't care, said Tonks, seizing the front of Lupin's robes and shaking them. I've told you a million times. And the meaning of Tonks's Patronus and her mouse-colored hair and the reason she had come running to find Dumbledore when she had heard rumor of someone being attacked by Greyback all suddenly became clear to Harry. It had not been serious that Tonks had fallen in love with after all. And I've told you a million times, said Lupin, refusing to meet her eyes, staring at the floor, that I'm too old for you, too poor, too dangerous. I've said all along you're taking a ridiculous line on this, Remus, said Mrs. Weasley over Flora's shoulder as she patted her on the back. I'm not being ridiculous, said Lupin steadily. Tonks deserves somebody young and whole. But she wants you, said Mr. Weasley with a smile. And after all, Remus, young and whole men do not necessarily necessarily remain so. He gestured sadly at his son lying between them. So, yeah, it's just like we have all of this, like, sadness and death and betrayal. And then they still put love into the very middle of it. And they say, like yeah. Professor McGonagall says, that Dumbledore would have been happier than anybody to think that there was a little more love in the world. So right, it's just, you know, she drops that in there. Just make sure you still remember, though, that the main point of all of this is that love 
is stronger than everything else that we're facing. Yeah. And it's like, it's a good reminder for her to drop that in for us here. Cause I think at this point it's, it's not only hard for Harry to re- remember that or Lupin or anyone else. It's hard for the reader at this point because it's heavy. This is starting to show you like, yeah, remember all that really dark shit that kept building up? Like, I'm sorry, but you've really not seen anything yet. Right. And things are just going to get darker and darker and darker and until they're not. But you have to remember that, you know, there is love and there's a solid backbone behind all of this that there's hope. And I think that's important, too, to keep in mind. Right. Um, so then they're preparing funeral arrangements and thinking of whether they should send the kids home. And Harry makes a really good point that, you know, the kids are going to want to say goodbye because Dumbledore means so much. And Dumbledore's wish was to be buried on Hogwarts grounds. And, you know, mm-hmm. it, it just is so fitting. Yeah. So then Fox is you know, going around the ground singing, and then all of a sudden, it it just stops. And then this is how chapter 29 ends, right before we get to the white tomb, which is chapter 30. And he knew, without knowing how he knew it, that the phoenix had gone, had left Hogwarts for good, just as Dumbledore had left the school, had left the world, had left Harry. So that's kind of the moment where Harry realizes, yeah, Dumbledore's not coming back. And, you know, it just kind of is a gut punch for all of us. So we get to the next chapter and, you know, people are pulling their kids out of school, obviously, because now it is not safe, they think, because Dumbledore is not there. And Seamus and his mom get in a heated argument in the corridors, which I love. I would love to see that. (laughs) And Jenny's saying she's going to have to get used to Fleur. And Harry's like, she's not that bad. Ugly, though, he added. Ugly, though. (laughs) (laughs) Such a good, such a good thing. Um, And then Hermione kind of puts two and two together. So earlier, a couple chapters ago, she had mentioned that she was, of course, doing research in the library and had stumbled upon Elaine Prince, who she thought could be the half-blood prince. And honestly, she was half right. Uh, It ended up being Snape's mom. Right. And she tells Harry, I mean, I was kind of right. <laughs> like, Hermione just, I love her, but she really loves it's really being not, right. It's just, like, not the time, honey. Yeah, because Harry's like, what, did you find out something about R.A.B.? Like, that's why you should be researching. And she has been researching, but she's like, I couldn't find anything about that. But I did find out that Snape is Eileen Prince's son. So, he is the Half-Blood Prince. Yeah. I do want to bring up one passage before... We get to the funeral. Um, They're, like, in the Great Hall, and over at the Slytherin table, Crabbe and Goyle are murmuring together. Hulking boys, though they were, they looked oddly lonely without the tall, pale figure of Malfoy between them, bossing them around. Harry had not spared Malfoy much thought. His animosity was all for Snape, but he had not forgotten the fear in Malfoy's voice on that tower top, nor the fact that he had lowered his wand before the other Death Eaters arrived. Harry did not believe that Malfoy would have killed Dumbledore. He despised Malfoy, still, for his infatuation with the dark arts, but now the tiniest drop of pity mingled with his dislike. Where, Harry wondered, was Malfoy now, and what was Voldemort making him do under the threat of killing him and his parents? So, yeah. I think it's really, really important that we get that little moment of pity that Harry yeah. has for Malfoy, and kind of, like, empathy and understanding of his situation. 
because Harry exactly. is probably like placing himself in his shoes and like what what I do if my life and my parents' life because you know how much he values his parents' life was on the line for my family and I was forced into that and like he feels really bad for him which is important right. and it will be important later um but yeah all that happens right before they go to the actual funeral yeah so they get to the funeral and honestly it's a beautiful scene that she paints for us everyone is there like she brings up the most obscure witches and wizards that she has mentioned before and everyone is coming to show their affections yeah it's it's a it's a lot to take in obviously this is harry mentions it's the first funeral he's ever been to Mm -hmm. because there was no body for sirius and obviously he was too young when his parents died and i just think it's so interesting a a boy who's had this much loss up until this point in his life and this is the first funeral that he's been to and that's significant it really is but you can't really hear a lot of the stuff that's being said about dumbledore no we don't unfortunately i do like that they have hagrid carry dumbledore's body Mm -hmm. i think that is very good it kind of mimics what will happen later when he's carrying what he thinks is a dead harry Mm -hmm. the mer people come up to pay their respects and harry wonders where dumbledore learned how to speak mermish and how he had Mm -hmm. so many things that he never asked him and so many things that he should have said to him yeah and then we honestly get like of course, Dumbledore is going to have some theatrics at his funeral. <laughs> then several people screamed. Bright white flames had erupted around Dumbledore's body and the table upon which it lay. Higher and higher they rose, obscuring the body. White smoke spiraled into the air and made strange shapes. Harry thought for one heart-stopping moment that he saw a phoenix fly joyfully into the blue, but the next second the fire had vanished. In its place was a white marble tune encasing Dumbledore's body and the table on which he had rested. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Flair for the dramatic, that man. But I do want to read this passage that is like Harry's narration as he's sitting there watching like this whole procession happen. Harry saw very clearly as he sat there under the hot sun how people who cared about him had stood in front of him one by one. His mother, his father, his godfather, and finally Dumbledore all determined to protect him, but now that was over. He could not let anybody else stand between him and Voldemort. He must abandon forever the illusion he ought have lost at an age of one, that the shelter of a parent's arms meant nothing could hurt him. There was no waking from this nightmare, no comforting whisper in the dark that he was safe, really, that it was all his imagination. The last and greatest of his protectors had died, and he was more alone than he had ever been before. Yeah. So I just think that's, like, an important place to know that Harry's mind is at. He's finally like, okay, one by one, people have laid down their lives for me. No more. Now it's me. The next life that's lost is mine. That's, like, kind of his last moment of innocence, last strand of innocence, has now been stripped away. And in some twisted, dark, sadistic way, he has become a man. And... You know, I think in this moment he realizes, like, okay, I have to go hunt Horcruxes. Like, there's no one to do it for me. Right. Like, he knew as soon as Dumbledore died, he's not going back to school. Like, this is for real now. 
Dumbledore's dead. I have to focus yeah. on this 100% all the time. So then he and Ginny have their breakup talk that we talked about in our character profile. Which is honestly the most, like, grown-up and mature breakup I think anybody has well, ever had. they know that they're not, like, really breaking up. But, like, <laughs> Harry like, just straight up... We gotta pause while Voldemort's still alive. Harry's like, we gotta press, we gotta press the pause button because, like, Voldemort has a tendency to torture people who are close to me and... I would never forgive myself if anything... If this was your funeral, I would lose it. Right. Like, I couldn't do that. And she gets I couldn't it. do that to your family. Like, I just couldn't. So, it shows how deeply he cares about her. Um, and then the Minister of Magic comes up to him and tries to get information about where they had gone the night before. And uh, McGonagall also asks him this when they're leaving the hospital wing and both times he's like absolutely not and he just reinforces the fact the minister of magic that he is dumbledore's man through and through right and he's not going to tell them where they were at when dumbledore was gone from school like that's none of their business and just because he's dead doesn't mean that he shouldn't obey his orders yeah and then it ends with harry telling ron and hermione that he's not going to come back even if it reopens and hermione's like I knew you were going to say that, but then what will you do? I'm going back to the Dursleys once more because Dumbledore wanted me to. But it'll be a short visit, and then I'll be gone for good. But where will you go if you don't go back to school? I thought I might go to Godric's Hollow, Harry muttered. He had had the idea in his head ever since the night of Dumbledore's death. For me, it all started there, all of it. I've just got a feeling I need to go there. And I can visit my parents' graves. I'd like that. And then what, said Ron. Then I've got to track down the rest of the Horcruxes, haven't I? said Harry, his eyes upon Dumbledore's white tomb reflected in the water on the other side of the lake. That's what he wanted me to do. That's why he told me all about them. If Dumbledore was right, and I'm sure he was, there were still four of them out there. I've got to find them and destroy them. Then I've got to go after the seventh bit of Voldemort's soul, the bit that's still in his body, and I'm the one who's got to kill him. And if I'm going to meet Severus Snape along the way, he added, so much better for me, (laughs) so much the worse for him. And then Ron says, we'll be there, Harry. So they just reinforce the fact that they're going with him. And Hermione says, you said this to us once before when Harry's trying to tell her no. Mm -hmm. That there was time to turn back if we wanted to. We've had time, haven't we? (laughs) Like, they're like, of course we're going. (laughs) Yeah. Let's remember back to the last five years before this one when we could have turned back with you and we were going to get the Sorcerer's Stone. Like, did you really think we weren't going to come with you on this? And then um, Ron reminds him that before they do this, they must go to the wedding of Bill and Floor. And then this is how it ends. His hand closed automatically around the fake Horcrux, but in spite of everything... In spite of the dark and twisting path he saw stretching ahead of himself, in spite of the final meeting with Voldemort he knew must come, whether in a month, in a year, or in ten, he felt his heart lift at the thought that there was still one last golden day of peace left to enjoy with Ron and Hermione. Ugh. Yep. And that gets me again every time. I know. I mean, she always, like, this book and the last book, both of them, something really, really heavy happens. And then she just kind of ends it on a little upswing of, but we still have a little bit of hope left in us right now. But we still have our golden trio. So all hope is not lost. Right. Love is still and alive. We're still got love a Love is wedding. still there. Yeah. 
<laughs> we got a wedding to go to, y'all. Oh, it's the wedding um, season in Wizarding World. It's wedding season. <laughs> but yeah, so that is the Half-Blood Prince. Next week we will be jumping into the film. Um, actually, next week is my birthday episode. Oh, no, no, no. Excuse me. Duh. <laughs> my B. It's because we moved everything back with that bye week. I know. But you'll be here for my birthday episode. Yeah. I think we maybe should just go ahead and watch the last part of it together, and then we'll just see what happens. Like, maybe we can record our thoughts directly after, so we can just knock out both while we're together. See if we can yeah. pull that off. I agree. But next week, I'm, I think it's good that we're going to be breaking it up with your birthday episode, just to keep the heavy moments apart a bit yeah it's a lot but yeah if you guys feel like you need someone to talk to after this episode (laughs) please reach out to us we're gonna start another facebook group and it's gonna be like just all therapy related for those of us who are rereading or reading for the first time who just really need to vent honestly we just should have a whole post in our group (laughs) of all your feelings start a post everyone comment here when you just need a virtual hug because you're feeling all the feels that go along with reading this series. But yeah, so we are almost done, crazily enough, with the series. We have one more book. I know. One more heavy book. I know, I know. It's gonna be crazy. I'm gonna even I'm gonna put that off more than I put off the last six chapters. Of the six books. Yeah, but honestly, just for reasons of, like, every time I read that book, I feel like it goes by really slow because I don't want it to end. Well, yeah, that's the thing. is like, I don't want to read it because I don't want it to be over. It's like when you're expecting someone yeah. to come visit you and, you, like, half the fun is the anticipation of them coming. And then when they're there, like, you get sad because they're going to leave. So it's like, that's yeah. how I feel reading this book. Like, the anticipation of reading this book is the most fun part <laughs> because when I'm reading it, I know that I'm, like, reading it to its end and then the whole series is done so right anyways anyway long episode so we will wrap it up but thank you for reading along with us if you are and thank you for always listening and reaching out to us um as always you can find us at hp half drunk on instagram and twitter and harry potter and the half drunk podcast on facebook you can also join our facebook group which you can find directly on our facebook page and it is popping every single day (laughs) yeah And you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or you can find us on Spotify and anywhere else that you get your podcasts from. Be sure to give us a five-star rating or leave us a review. Tell us anything you want to hear. And um, yeah, just thank you all again for your support and being the best people out there. We're going to need some ideas coming up. It's looking like. So let us know what you want us to talk about. We're getting through these deep dives, so it'll be coming soon. All right, everyone. Have a good week and stay safe and please wash your hands. Cheers. Mischief managed.